Congratulations, LifeFlow, for being named in G2's Fall 2023 report as the leader in the financial analysis category. This accolade is a reflection of LifeFlow's commitment to excellence, outstanding performance, user-friendly experience, and being the preferred choice of accountants and bookkeepers. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LifeFlow, later in the episode. Right now, the CPA societies, they're hemorrhaging members. So you think they would be trying to come up with ways to get more people in the door to raise the stature of the profession and, and protect the public. But like nothing we're doing is protecting the public. That's the problem with the extra 30 hours. It doesn't protect the public. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. And we are back from... We're literally back. Yes, back. Like, we are back from Sweet World... In Las Vegas. I want to hear your takeaways from Sweet World, David, because uh, we got to chat with Evan Goldberg, EVP, founder of NetSuite, as usual. Listeners should go listen to that episode. We put it out as a bonus episode uh, available now. And NetSuite announced all these really cool AI features. And I was actually excited about these features. It wasn't just PR. Now they're yeah. not there yet. They still are coming to the product, but like this is real generative AI inside of NetSuite. At a high level, right? The whole goal of NetSuite is to run everything in the suite. And they have all this data. The more you use NetSuite and the more you use the entire suite, the more efficient you are, the faster you're growing, et cetera, et cetera. And you know how everybody does it. You're at a conference, but everybody has companies they're still running and you're doing a little you know, side work on, on your laptop while you're paying attention and doing your stuff. And I'm I'm just sitting there and I'm jumping from practice or ignition back to QuickBooks to Airtable, copying something from over here, pasting over here. And I got like 15 apps open and I'm like, man, maybe we should switch to NetSuite, Blake, like, and have it all in one app. That's what was going through my brain at that time because I yes. even had our CRM open. And I'm like, I'm starting to understand the appeal of everything in one spot. Yeah. Like everything yes. in one single spot. Yeah. Like, and we, we've got an interview coming out with a... CFO who has used NetSuite to basically automate the entire accounting and finance function for a marketing agency, digital ads. And, and he's a developer who did this. And he, so he's been able to keep his accounting and finance team to two people, himself That's and a crazy. controller, because of NetSuite. Like, so it, it sounded incredibly complicated what he's done. Not everybody could do it, but it's totally possible with something that advanced. Um, I want to dig into the specific AI features that are coming this year in the next few months, apparently. The first one is the, uh, what do they call it? Text, text enhance? Well, I think before we talk about this feature, how yeah. they got there. So okay. just how Microsoft, uh, all these big, huge tech companies kind of, I didn't say they missed a boat on AI. They just weren't developing it in-house. And yeah, so they're sure. all been partnering, right? Yeah. Obviously, Microsoft put billions into OpenAI. Um, Amazon made a multi-billion dollar investment in Anthropic. Anthropic and Oracle is now partnering. They're, they're, they're tapping into Cohere. They're partnering with Cohere, C-O-H-E-R-E. And so Cohere, like you've used it. They power Notion. They power Jasper AI. So, so, so we're using Cohere already in some of our other things. So, so that's how they're, they're enabling AI in their products is through, through this partnership with Cohere. And Cohere is running on Oracle's cloud infrastructure. So if you use NetSuite and you're using the AI, then it's actually running on Oracle servers. So security, right? It's all in the yes, same. Yeah, it's all in the yep. same data servers. Yes. Yeah. And okay. So so they 
they've added generative AI throughout the product. And what's interesting, and I, I was for me is it doesn't have a name. They want it to be so just seamless in the suite, it's not called anything. And so it was hard to communicate about it. Because I think, uh, you know, obviously Microsoft, it's called Copilot. And what's it, what's it called for Google? Bard, right? Bard, yeah. Everyone gives it a name. But they've chose consciously not to give it a name. So it's, yeah. so I'm going to stumble when we reference it in these conversations. But uh, the way to think about it is it's across all their modules. And the best easy way is like description fields on an inventory item. Any text field, they've said, is going to have yeah. this feature. So yeah, like description on a sales invoice or inventory item. and Collections the, letter. And the, the demo that we saw was just type in four bullet points of what you want that sales description to be, and then you press a button next to that text field, little magic wand button, and it generates a text description based on your bullet points. Which and is the, convenient, right? Oh, like yeah. Your staff, well, like your staff can just click that and just give the description. Yeah. But we've all used AI. What's the one problem with this? It's not consistent, right? Right. So what they've done is at the administrator level, Blake, so if you're the, you're the, I love you, you always want control, right? So you go into your administrative console. They have something called, um, I'm going to mess up the name. So this, they gave a name. It's called Prompt Studio. And in this prompt studio, Blake, you can create your prompt that all your employees will use on that field. And you can have that prompt, tell it, go use the size field here, the price, the unit quantity here, grab this data here, this piece of data here. Almost like the best way to describe it is like a mail merge. We've all used mail merge. Imagine in your prompt, if you put in fields and then kind of give it a secondary prompt of how you want the output to kind of look and you get very consistent results. Yes. And now your employees don't have to know anything about prompting. They just hit the button and they get a nope. good enough description. No more copy and pasting from yeah. your from NetSuite into other systems. Yeah, it's 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 really I think well thought out. So that's coming in the next few months. Yep. The next thing that uh was announced that I got really excited about that we saw was um generative AI used to create plain English summaries on customer records. So this is something I didn't know. The number one type of user in NetSuite is the sales user, the sales person. Because NetSuite, when it's implemented properly, it's, it's a full stack solution. So it's your CRM, it's your order management, it's your inventory, it's your finances, it's the whole cycle. Your supply chain, you yes. know what's coming. Yep. Yes. So. You've got salespeople in there looking at customer records. Well, how can they use AI to help those salespeople? And so now, in the, I think it's called Customer 360, in this customer profile, not only will there be all the fields that you always had that show their past orders and the status of this and that and the other thing, at the top, you'll have a headline. And the headline will indicate to the salesperson if there is an opportunity. It'll surface opportunities across your CRM and put them put it right there in the biggest, boldest text, and then have a description of the status of that customer. This is a really realistic and helpful use case for AI they can do right now. It's not, it's, it's not this you know, pie in the sky future thing. Like I could actually do this if I took a customer record and copied and pasted all the fields into ChatGPT or Claude, it could do this. So we know this works. It's a really neat use case. 
And the last, and it sounds like you have something to say on that. I was going to say, along with that, that customer, their CRM, customer 360, like if you have to, you have a backlog of products or a different type of product offering, it can suggest based on all their accounting data who you might want to contact to sell that new product to yeah, and, and produce yeah. the customer list and the email list for you. It's But that's the benefit of the whole suite, right? And they, they constantly refer to that. And you really see it when you're there. You're like, oh, yeah, because I, I wish our stuff was connected <laughs> a little bit better. And the best part about all this is that they are adding all this in at no extra charge, which I think is brilliant. I got really annoyed when Google told me that in order to continue accessing the AI features in Google Workspace, I'm going to have to pay an extra $36 a month per user, basically doubling my subscription fee. Now, I understand why they would do that. They're going to try to make money, and also there's costs to run to run the AI, right? But I think NetSuite's making the right move. Oracle's making the right move by making it free and not charging extra for it because it's going to increase adoption of the suite. It's going to make the suite overall more competitive and help them beat the competition, which ultimately is what you want. You want more people using it. You want more businesses to be successful on it. You don't want to charge them for this. I think Evan described it as like it's just embedded in the suite. It's all the suite is AI powered now. So I think it's a really smart move. Yeah. And I just was really impressed with that. A whole lot more announcements at Suite World we don't need to go into. Uh, but those were the, the big AI ones. I have another AI story. This was from a listener. We had a listener write in and send a video. I thought this was such a cool use of drones, autonomous drones and AI in audit. I'm going to go ahead and play the video and then we'll talk about it. And I'll describe the, the video for our listeners who aren't on YouTube. By the way, if you want to see our faces, if you want to see the videos we play, subscribe on YouTube. The accounting podcast is on YouTube. Uh, we've, we've, we're adding hundreds of subscribers Every week, it seems like people really want to join us, and you can join us live. And thanks everyone, by the way, who joined us live today. Uh, great to see you in the chat. Hello, Michael, HK, and Hazardous. Great to see you all. So, so here's an example of a drone using AI to count cattle on a field for farmers. Two, one, starting mission. The drone is flying over. Automated cattle counting using machine learning. We're looking at a field from above and we are seeing cattle detected. Nine. The AI is is seeing the, the cattle on the ground and counting them as it if moves If any of over. you have ever played Command and Conquer, that's what's happening here. <laughs> oh yeah. It now it's counting another 40, now we're up to 45 cattle. 110 hectares covered in 18 minutes, counting 185 cattle. So if you're that poor auditor that gets sent out to the outback to count herds, now you can do it. And it calculates the value. Pretty neat. Uh, so that is uh, a, a company called uh, Trigger Tech, a division of Trigger. And uh, one of our listeners sent that in. I thought that was so cool. What a great use of AI to do audit. And imagine drones flying around warehouses doing this sort of thing someday. Definitely possible. Or, or, or AI just getting correct bank statements from banks. For <laughs> that, auditors. that too. And actually, one of our listeners said, can AI help get PBCs from my clients on time? And while I haven't seen any practice management solutions build this, I think that is a huge opportunity, is creating the PBC list 
and then following up with clients to make sure they actually submit those items one by one. So rather than sending a giant list of documents like I got from my tax preparer, the AI could follow up, say via text or email, and ask for each one that I haven't submitted yet and help me get to completion on that. Because for me, seeing I don't know, a giant list of 20 things is a little overwhelming. Uh, I got another listener mail. This was in response to our story about Don Jr., Donald Trump Jr. And when he was asked to describe what Gap is in yeah. a deposition, well, apparently now in a deposition, Alan Weisselberg, Trump's former CFO, was asked to define Gap. So we get to hear from him now. Uh, what is Gap, Alan Weisselberg? <laughs> Are they just going to do this with every person they put on the stand? I guess so. Now it's now it's a running, now it's a meme. So this is from uh, MSNBC. Now, remember, Weisselberg has already been convicted of tax fraud, and we learned through his newly released deposition video that he actually never took the certified public accountant exam. If I said the phrase GAP, G-A-A-P, are you familiar with that acronym? I've heard of that, yes. Okay. Tell me everything you know about GAP. What is GAP? Generally accepted accounting principles. I, I don't know what's in GAP. I never took the CPA exam. Okay. I never studied for it. So I don't know all the various components of what GAP is. Are there any components you know about <laughs> what GAP is? <laughs> Not really. Okay. No. So she should have asked why. And he, his perfect response should have been, I didn't want to do the extra 30 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so they all know that it's generally accepted accounting principles, but they don't know anything about it. I think that's pretty funny. Now, are you saying this is a legal strategy? Well, claiming ignorance is always a good legal strategy, right? If you don't want to answer more questions. Uh, I, I could pivot off of that to two small follow-ups from one's FTX-related or crypto-related and then one's the Canadian CPA standoff. Yeah, go for it. Let's just you jump know, around. Yeah, we can jump around. So, I mean, they're follow-up. You did a follow-up. I'll do some follow-ups. Um, last week, we had the article that was talking about how a lot of the crypto industry wants this FTX trial to go away because it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Well, the real reason why is because they're all tied to it. Um, so Thursday, New York's attorney general filed a lawsuit against three digital asset firms that were actually tied into this collapse. You had Gemini Trust, Genesis Global Capital, and Digital Currency Group, the parent company of Genesis. And you know th the reason they're going after them because it affected 29,000 New Yorkers we're, we're among the 230,000 investors. But in, I, you probably got this. I know I got a phone call or LinkedIn about this when they were basically guaranteeing you returns on your money, 15, 16, yeah. 8%, like guaranteed returns. And so they were the, the Winkle losses or the Winkle losses, right? Those are the twins yep. that claim they started Facebook and it was stolen. Like they're always in lawsuits about stuff all the time. Well, this is their company and they had a company, a lending service, and this company, the lending service basically owed more than $900 million to customers that are using their EARN program. So people were like, sure, take my money, give me my guaranteed return. And the way they were doing this is they um, were buying and trading crypto with Alameda Research. They're all tied in together. So this is not a FTX was a criminal and that's all that like, everybody's money, they were helping each other. And so there's another article that came out is apparently, so this was in the testimony. But FTX was using their customer funds to buy back their uh, Binance state. So Binance 
invested into FTX. Yeah. And then FTX took customer funds to rebuy their stake out. Like all the, they're all in bed. Like yeah. all of them. Yeah, yeah. So you have these whales who are transacting back and forth, creating this artificial activity, Market. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's not real US dollars. It's done with these stable coins that can be simply manufactured. So it seems like there's a lot of value. It seems like values are going up, right? Because you've they push the values up with this. But it's it's not tip your average investors. And then people see this happening. Your typical average American investor sees this happening and they decide I'm gonna put, you know, a thousand dollars into crypto or something like that. And then the market crashes. Who gets hurt? It's your typical investor. It's not these Winklevosses who are making millions or billions of dollars. It's it's such a scam and it's happening in plain sight. And finally, finally, somebody is exposing this whole proof of reserves myth that we've been talking about for at least a year. Those fake audits. Fake audits. They're not, yeah, they're not audits, but yeah. they're attestation reports. And companies go out, crypto exchanges go out and get them from uh, typically a regional firm, not the big four. And they'll claim this is an audit. They'll hold it out like it's an audit. Yeah, they, ex they, they exploit the logo. Yeah, right? yeah. Put it on the website. So finally, I saw an article this month on Accounting Today, an opinion piece by Matthew De La Fuente and Joe David. And the headline is The Proof of Reserves Myth in Crypto Accountancy. And they basically talk about what we're talking about, how the proof of reserves doesn't actually protect investors because the only thing that it's verifying is the assets at a snapshot in time. And the auditors typically aren't digging into the assets. They're just looking at like, I mean, it sounds like they could be just looking at a screenshot and there's no verification of the liabilities on or off chain or the governance of the organization, which is how you ended up with FTX having a proof of reserves report that they held out as an audit and then completely collapsing because there was no auditor looking at the code or making sure that Alameda didn't have a negative $10 billion balance. So it's funny because even accountants are falling for this. I saw uh, an editorial priest, it looks like out of the UK, talking about how FTX is the biggest audit failure ever. And I was like, wait a minute, they didn't really audit. I mean, was Armanino no issued a statement, but there was never an audit. So how was it even an audit failure? Yeah, like, I mean, to no me, audit. to me, these Here's my what my gut says. These proof of reserves reports are about as good as if I invited you, David, to like screen share with me and I showed you a screenshot of my balance at Bank of America. And then you issued a report saying, oh, Blake has X dollars. Like that's about how good these reports are. You know, basically useless. And, you know, we've allowed this to happen as a profession. Like, like nobody's standing up and saying like, this is not acceptable. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. If you're really a busybody, your title would read CPB, a Certified Public Busybody. You're a CFO, a controller, a CPA, and yet you burn so much time on the busy work compiling reports, stuck in the land of CPB. Well, LiveFlow's mission is to get you out of there. 
It's the fastest way to connect your QuickBooks Online to Google Sheets. It's designed to eliminate your extra busy work by automating and scaling your client reporting with live hourly updates. Once you cross the border, some strange and wonderful things start to happen. You stop exporting reports from QBO. You no longer customize your sheets over and over again. Your central nervous system forgets what it feels like to deal with stale data and you enter a state of nirvana. For your one-way ticket out of CPB land and 20% off your first three months, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash liveflow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Welcome back to CPA land. You know Alan Anderson? Are you familiar with him, David? He's He's been around for a yeah. long time in audit as a consultant, and he has started writing some really great articles on CPA trend lines. He just wrote a, a piece called, Is Audit in Crisis Because of Definitions? And he calls out this statistic that I like to talk about uh, from the book, The End of Accounting, by Baruch Lev and, and Fungu. And he points out that the relevance of audited financials has dropped. So back in the 1950s, the market value of public companies directly attributable to earnings and book value reported in their financials was 90%. So 90% of the value of a company was attributable to earnings and book value in the financials. So Back then, financial statements were very important. If ninety percent, the whole point of gap, right? So you could look at the two financials and be like, "This company is worth investing in, or more valuable." Right? Yep. In two thousand tens, it was fifty percent. So Alan Anderson wrote this article, basically calling this out that because of the decline in usefulness of gap, audited financials have become less useful. There is a perceived disconnect between the value of audited financials and stakeholder interests with auditors often struggling to explain the purpose and the value of an audit. And the question is, would companies get audits if they weren't required to do it? And I think that actually a lot of companies would not. And I think a lot of investors wouldn't care because they aren't actually using the financial statements to make investments. When was the last time any of us looked at the audited financial statements of a company, like downloaded them from the SEC to make an investment decision? I mean, us being consumer investors, the retail investors, probably not. But I'm assuming people that like big institutions that are making $400, $500 million investments into something, maybe. I don't think they, they are either. I think there's a whole emperor has no clothes kind of thing going on here where because Gap hasn't changed since the industrial era that people aren't using them. And I could go on about this for like a whole hour. <laughs> I feel like, so I won't. But the, the big issue is that Gap doesn't describe intangible assets. It doesn't handle intangible assets well. In most of the businesses out there these days that are generating value, that are growing, are based on intangible assets. Look at OpenAI. What is that company based on? It's based on artificial intelligence. There's no tangible asset whatsoever in that company. It's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And I bet if you looked at its financial statements, it would show like no assets like a, barely any assets because we don't capitalize internally generated intangible assets very often in gap. So it's, it's this weird situation um, where accounting, which you know, does a great job of describing 
manufacturing and railroads and that sort of thing doesn't handle these technology companies. And that's why Amazon looked like crap for all these years. Netflix, subscription companies, they don't, they don't look good on Gap because Gap doesn't know how to handle the intangible asset of a customer subscription. And I think people are finally starting to pay attention to this. Finally. And this all ties back to the talent crisis, okay? Because whenever I talk about the 150-hour rule, the, the most intelligent counter-argument is, well, it's not really the extra education that's the problem. It's low salaries. We just got to fix the low salaries. And I agree with this. I agree that the low salaries are the root problem. But what is causing the low salaries? We have to ask. It's the fact that Gap is not that useful. So companies and investors aren't really willing to pay for financial statements the way that they should. So I'm a company. I'm going to keep picking whoever the cheapest auditor is every single time. Yeah, because they don't really care. They just have to get it done because they're required to do it. So maybe a way we can test this is we could actually say, like, not every company has to get audited every year. Maybe, say, 10% of companies just randomly don't have to get audited and see what happens. Does anything change? Would it make a difference? Yeah. Or the like, other way, actually, the audit's actually... more of a surprise, the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the things you hear from AICPA is, like, audit is important, accounting is important because we are the defenders of the – they don't say it this way, but – you know, we, we, we support the capital markets, right? Without us, they wouldn't function. Well, I wonder if that's actually, like, can we test that? I wonder if that's true. How do we test that? Because I think actually, if we didn't have audits, a lot of companies wouldn't get audited and a lot of investors wouldn't care because of this problem we have with audits being this like bar you have to pass. It's like pass fail, which like guarantees like mediocrity and all this other stuff with the financial statements not being relevant. To, to reinforce your financial statements not being relevant, uh, there's a, an opinion piece. Uh, this is from a British website. It's called City AM. And apparently there's some legislation possibly coming down the pipe about reporting requirements. So even it would go down to maybe you only make um, your $50,000 a year business. You might have to still meet these reporting requirements. And where, where it's coming from on this is kind of how ridiculous they are. For example, in 1997, the Royal Dutch Shell Company's financials were only 68 pages, and now they're 399 pages. Yeah. Who's reading 399 pages of financial statements? I don't think any of the analysts are doing it. And worse than that, the one part you might want is on one page way deep in there. Right? Yeah. So he's talking about uh, a report that had um, six pages on people and culture, 12 pages on task force and climate-related disclosures. And then on page 256, there's a one-page summary of the 10-year financial records. <laughs> like. Like they, they, they could just leave that page out and nobody even notice yeah. the financial part. Mm -hmm. David, part of our headline in this episode is that QuickBooks is launching bill pay. And the consequence of that is that Melio and Bill are out. They're getting kicked out of QuickBooks. Yes. What is happening? So we kind of got a, the writing was on the wall when we were at QuickBooks Connect last year. We even kind of filmed the new bill pay they were building for QuickBooks Online. And so this has been on March they've been on for years because, I mean, I think Bill was built into QuickBooks 2015, 16 times. So it's been there, you know, a good six to eight years. And then you have Melio, which has been built in the last almost full three years now that's been built in. Um, but it's also been kind of two disconnected things, right? So Melio is kind of in the normal QuickBooks online, kind of for the smaller businesses. You got 
Bill, who was still in QuickBooks Advanced, right, for the enterprise customers. And then slowly they've been rolling out their own thing in the middle here. And it's had ripple effects. Um, Bill.com is pretty much, this is a quote from Rene Lassert. He And this is in their last earnings call. He says, Intuit has decided to compete on payments rather than partner. Right? And as a result, they are going to, um, they're expecting churn and they're looking at Intuit as a competitor now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, Bill just launched a whole set of rebranded products. So they're calling it Bill Financial Operations Platform. And that's going to have bill accounts payable, bill accounts receivable, bill spend and expense. And now they uh, they announced it, but now they've actually rolled it out this week, a bill accountant council. So they're building a whole finance. There's no GL, but they're building a financial stack for you to put your clients on. Huh. Outside of QuickBooks, you can see see the writing on the wall on that. It's coming. And they did announce, so now they finally released a pricing page. So let me share my screen. Payments and banking. QuickBooks yeah. bill pay plans. So it is one place to streamline bill pay. So this is new, new website. It's spun up. And they have plans at the bottom here. This is on the QuickBooks website. Website. And the basic is free. You can do five ACH payments a month for 100% free. And it also includes automated bill creation, and then it'll automatically match the transactions, obviously, in the bank bank feed after it's done. Okay. The automated bill creation is interesting because, I mean, I've uploaded stuff, bills, and they haven't been great. So I wonder if that's only going to be the ones that are part of their network. If it's somebody sends an invoice from their QuickBooks to me, and it becomes a bill into my, my QuickBooks, possibly. The second plan is premium, which is $7.50 a month. And then the top plan is elite. And the the two those two paid plans, they come with 1099 filing. So instead of you having to buy the 1099 service separately, you'd pay your bills, your vendors through this service, and then you get your 1099 filing for free. Okay. And the big one at the highest level at $45 a month, they're going to add in roles and permissions and bill approval workflows. So it feels like they're building a stack of what people need. I do think like for the average QuickBooks user, 45 bucks a month is pretty expensive for paying bills because so many people just subscribe to stuff on credit cards now, right? Yeah, 45 a month. Oh, I mean, it is interesting. I, I, I wonder why, I mean, I know why Intuit did this because the strategy for making money on QuickBooks has always been you get people in on the basic subscription and then you upsell them on payroll and what was the other... Payments, payroll and payments was always it. And that's how they get to $200, $300 a month. And payroll, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can see why they're doing this. And then they're going to get a piece of every single ACH transaction that happens because they're charging charging for that too, right? Yeah. And on the other side, it's funny if we think about uh, what one of the things Oracle announced or NetSuite announced is they're unbundling bill scanning and paying bills. Because last year they launched bill pay, so scan bills and pay the bills. They're separating that out because so I guess so people can have freedom how they want to pay the bills, but they still want the advantages of bill scanning or yeah. vice versa. Kind of, they're just attacking it differently. We have a comment here that pro advisors are going to have discounted pricing that they can pass on to clients. Any word on that? I did not see anything noted that caught my eye. Okay. They are offering 50% off the first three months if you sign up for the two paid plans. But the ones that we were looking at, that's for direct 
customers, not the pro advisors. Yeah, not the pro advisor pricing, okay. correct. So we'll have to get back on the discounted pricing, find out what that is going to be. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. Many times when working with clients, you'll find that they are already using apps to run their front of the house day-to-day operations, but need your help picking apps to solve their back office needs. Zoho Finance Plus has all the tools you need to streamline all of your clients' back office operations. Those apps include Zoho Invoice, Zoho Books, Zoho Inventory, Zoho Subscriptions, Zoho Expense, and Zoho Checkout. Zoho Finance Plus is a unified platform in which all the apps work seamlessly together and can be easily managed with one single administrative console that allows you to manage departments, roles, and user access and permissions in different apps. Zoho also has a partner program for accountants, bookkeepers, and consultants. As a Zoho advisor, you can list your firm on Zoho's partner directory leading to discovery by Zoho's over 85 million customers. Zoho advisors also get a dedicated partner account manager, early access to product releases, in-depth product training, certifications, and more. If you want to learn about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. We got more listener mail. I guess I'm just going to go ahead and read through some of this. This is from Keith. Keith said... I love your articles about the required 150 credit hours. I called the result of this however many years ago when this requirement was instituted. Requiring essentially a master's degree was an outrageous requirement from day one. Accountants initiating this were obviously not economists nor in touch with the real world at the time. To require an extra 30 hours in impressionism, art studies, gender studies, or whatever the in topic of the day is does nothing at all for the profession, as you have noted. The Institute's powers that be that came up with this requirement were just institutional elites. There's nothing about our profession that requires more than a bachelor's degree. We are not brain surgeons or rocket scientists. We are accountants that pass a test on our ability to retain certain knowledge. The fact that the debits equal the credits does not change whether we have 120 hours or 150 hours. It is the experiences we have in performing our work. When we hire new accountants, which are harder and harder to find, I always tell them that whatever they learned in school, they will need about 10% of that knowledge to make it in the accounting profession. It is the work experience that will make or break them, not those extra 30 credit hours which you paid or borrowed thousands of dollars for. I won't see the reversion to the 120 hours and two years experience in my lifetime, but keep up the good fight as the 150 credit hour requirement has destroyed our profession. Thanks, Keith. That is from Keith Thompson. Thank you, Keith, for your... Uh, for your take. And if you want to send us a message, you can email us at theaccountingpodcast at earmark.me. Find that in the show notes. I have another suggestion for Keith. He can respond to an opinion piece that was in Accounting Today that called out you, Mr. Blake Oliver, in your (laughs) your post about the 150-hour rule. Oh, yeah? So there's an article written. um, This was written, his name is Rick David. He currently uh, manages a com- his own company. It's uh, Dan Lex Solutions. They, uh, they're a C-suite consulting practice, you know, help, helps professional service firms, accounting firms, et cetera. But prior to that, he was, uh, he graduated 1978 um, from the University of Michigan. From what I can tell, he got an accounting degree, but I can't tell that he's ever been a CPA looking at his history. But he did serve, uh, he was a, 
in the uh, mid 2000s there he was a member of the AICPA's professional ethics executive committee he was on NASBA's uh, board member for Michigan State Board he was a committee member for NASB and ASBE so everything says he was a CPA but it's nowhere on his title and LinkedIn it's not you know he has no comment no letters behind his name etc but anyways, he calls you out Blake cuz he he specifically thinks that your argument of removing the education requirement is going to lower the bar. I hate quality, that phrase, lower it, the, it, bar. Lower the bar. And his his slippery slope argument here is, well, if we use that logic, Blake, because you're using data, Blake, if we're using data, the data says if somebody takes the CPA exam and fails, they won't take it a second time. So using your logic, we should make the test easier. So he took he took the reduction of the 150-hour rule and said that based on the logic and arguments of that argument, we should make the test the CPA exam easier. But he obviously yeah. doesn't want easier. He's trying to illustrate a point. But I think he's missing the entire point because the CPA exam is the bar. Right. That's the bar. It's the test of knowledge. The 30 hours is a barrier to proving your knowledge on the bar. So, and then, like I said, I went with this record. I think it's right. when I see these articles and I look with people, and I'm assuming he's a CPA. He was at KPMG for 30 years, right? Like straight yeah. out of college. I'm assuming he was a CPA, but just not very clear. But if the extra hour, 30 hours were so important, there's no he said there's no record of him getting an MBA or a master's or like if it's so important, how come all these old people aren't going back and getting the 30 hours anywhere yeah. in their career? I think everybody who argues in favor of the extra 30 hours should go get it themselves. Right, you shouldn't. Oh, states should start so proposing that. If states yeah. propose that, anybody who doesn't have to has to go get it. Yeah. So feel free to reply to that uh, that piece on accounting today or on his uh, LinkedIn well, post. I think you put it really well. I'm gonna start using that, David. The 30 hours is a barrier to sit for the CPA exam, which is the bar, and that's why you see states getting rid of this barrier to sit for the exam now. Now you can, in some states, sit for the exam with only 120. So why, if we're going to let people sit for the exam at 120, why do we make them then go th get 30 more after they've proven their knowledge on the CPA exam? It makes no sense. It makes even less sense when you do that. So I, I just think we have to get past this idea that sitting in a classroom makes you a better CPA. Now it Taking might- classes that have nothing to do with accounting. Right, right. it might- if you take the right classes, but most people aren't, right? They're, they're just doing anything to get it. And, and so it's not making us better. And all the evidence says it's not making us better CPAs. And it's just adding cost and time. So it's not lowering the bar. In fact, I would say it's increasing the bar to go back to two years of work experience. Because right now, we're get it, letting people get licensed as CPAs with a single year of work experience. When we all agree that a year of work experience is more valuable than a year of a, a additional education. So by swapping that year of education for a year of work experience, we are increasing the bar. I mean, hey, I'd be in favor of making it three years of work experience and allowing anyone with a bachelor's degree to sit for the exam. And maybe you even have three pathways if that's necessary. But don't don't require people to go sit in a classroom and take these specific classes. If they can get the knowledge elsewhere, why do we care that they paid money to a college or a university? If they can get it in the real world, that's just as good 
if not better in many cases. Well, the vast so. majority of the industry does not have the extra 30 hours and the industry is not collapsing. <laughs> exactly. So obviously it's not that important. Yeah. And the real reason it was put in place that people say, I, I don't know, I wasn't around when they put this place was like to, you know, increase the barrier to like reduce the supply of CPAs. But Actually, that's a good way to phrase it, right? It was purposely put in as a hoop to jump over yeah. and a barrier. It was a wall that was built on purpose. And it made sense when we had too many people going into accounting, right? But nobody was looking forward into the future, looking at demographic trends. And What, what did Ronald Reagan say to, uh, to, the, to Russia? Like, tear down this wall. What did you, yeah, exactly. We need to quote. tear down this wall. Yeah. We'll have our editor stick that quote in. Go find it and stick it in right here. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Um, here's another one from, uh, Sean. Sean said, good morning, Blake. Picking up this thread again after hearing you and David talk on it during the podcast. I'm a few weeks behind. David made an interesting point about specializations. Why not have a CPA A for audit, a CPA T for tax and other specialized certifications that could even potentially justify the 150 hour rule, at least for those niches. To your point about integrity, objectivity, and professionalism, it's a fair one. To sell haircuts professionally, someone needs to get licensed and have a certain minimum training. But to work as a bookkeeper or even more advanced roles, the law requires none of that. I'll notice a bad haircut pretty quickly and not return. Low risk, low consequences. Bad bookkeeping can go undetected for years with very expensive consequences. High risk, high consequences. I'm not sure that the answer is that everyone in accounting should be a, C a CPA. But why isn't there at least some minimum certification, testing, and ethics training at all levels of the profession? So at least we can get parity with barber colleges, for Pete's sake. <laughs> These folks wouldn't necessarily be full CPAs. They get some other sort of letters after their names. But for those operating with professionalism, it would provide validation. For consumers, it would provide some sort of objective way of confirming someone's skill and integrity, etc. Your thoughts? Thanks and keep up the good work, Sean. So... I agree that we would be better off spending our time getting states to protect the accounting role for CPAs more. Right now, the only thing you need it to do is audit, right? But we do way more than that as a profession. So like it doesn't it doesn't make sense the way we put in this education requirement for what? For what purpose? So I'm not sure how I feel about like splitting it up into multiple I think it could get really com complicated very quickly. But it's the easiest with just a plus. If you've done the extra 30, you get a plus. <laughs> I, I think it would make sense to have a CPA and then something that's more like a paralegal for the accounting profession. And, you know, actually license bookkeepers who do that kind of work and have some minimum bar. I mean... Wouldn't that be <laughs> profitable for the ICPA? You could have this, like, junior lower tier membership and get another million members paying money. I know, right? Like, it, it would be great. Like you'd want that, right? Right now, the CPAs, societies, the the boards, the ASCP, they're hemorrhaging members. So you think they would be trying to come up with ways to get more people in the door to raise the stature of the profession and, and protect the public. But like nothing we're doing is protecting the public. That's the problem with the extra 30 hours. It doesn't protect the public. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Arrow. 
by giving you the tools you need to take your firm's knowledge capital, your processes, and your procedures integrated together into tasks, Arrow will make your firm more efficient, scalable, profitable, and give you the peace of mind that client work won't slip through the cracks. Arrow lets you define, organize, track, and advise. You can define your services with over 160 ready-to-go bookkeeping and accounting checklists that can be turned into client tasks at a click of a button. You can easily organize tasks, team resources, and client data like usernames, passwords, documents, and tax ID numbers. With automatic time tracking built into every task, Arrow gives you instant insights into the status of all open work in the firm, and your staff never has to remember to start or stop any timers. Arrow even has what you need to systemize your advisory services, including a framework to create an advisory-based recurring revenue stream for your firm. Arrow has direct integrations with Office 365, QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Time, and thousands of other apps via their Zapier integration. And if that isn't enough, you can even create your own integration using Arrow's Open API. Arrow also provides a free training and certification plan to you and your staff, including unlimited free one-on-one -on -one support sessions. Arrow is currently offering all new accounts, white glove onboarding that usually costs $2,000 for free. To take advantage of this offer before the end of 2023, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash Arrow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-E-R-O. So, so two two professors or three, I guess, um, from the University of Florida, University of Oregon figured out how to solve the pipeline problem. How? Like, this is actually, it, the more I like read this and think about it and read it and think about it, it's really making my mind explode a little bit because you've talked about this two years ago, three years ago on the podcast, how like the lack of accountants is going to cause audits, failures, and fraud. So much fraud, so much fraud, so much fraud. Yeah, and, yeah. And you would think like, oh, this is bad publicity for all of us. If there are these frauds keep happening and they're happening, right? FTX, et cetera. But what they've done is they found data that, you know, obviously frauds cause negative problems to the entire market, financial crimes, right? Mm -hmm. But they found data that's actually great for all of us. And to summarize the data here, if you're in high school, Blake, and there's lots of frauds being covered, financial frauds on your local media. Like every day, there's stuff about the FTX fraud, right, on the media. During your formative years of high school, you are more likely to become an accountant. Really? They found this in the data, yes. And not only that, um, they were looking at historical educational and labor market data of, a, of more than a half a million accounting graduates. You're actually, if you're exposed to this fraud exposure in high school, you're more likely to work in an accounting job, go into public accounting, work for the big four, basically, and become a sort of CPA. So in a weird way, the market, it's, it's all supply and demand, right? All these frauds that we're currently in yeah. might encourage a lot more accounts. It's Silver linings? <laughs> it, it, but but it's it, this also goes to like stepping back where sometimes like people are so set on their beliefs. Yeah. Like, like nobody would have, pre like, who, who would have had this hunch that maybe a bunch of fraud is going to get us more accountants? Well, if we don't get more accountants, we're going to have to use AI to augment accountants to replace a bunch of staff work. So let's talk about the latest AI stuff. We're going to come full circle here. So latest developments for ChatGPT. This is not new news. But we haven't talked about it yet on the show, so I feel like I should mention that ChatGPT can now surf the internet again. It used to be able to do that, then they turned it off because they found it was bypassing paywalls on 
news sites. Then they oh, fixed it. This would be so efficient for this show. <laughs> my my production would be so much faster if that was a feature. So they've given it access again. So if you have GPT ChatGPT Plus, you can now turn on the Bing search, which is very helpful for doing research. I love that. Uh, ChatGPT can also now see, hear, and speak. Now, this is rolling out to people slowly, and I haven't mentioned it because it wasn't available in my app yet, uh, but now it is. So now I have the ability to create a chat and it you're actually, not sharing yet if you're going to share. Oh, well, I, I, I'm not going to share. Oh, you're on your phone? Because I'm on my phone. Oh, okay. But like, I actually have the ability to, um, there's a little like headphone icon. And I have the ability to like press that headphone icon and we can talk to it. So like, David, do you want to talk to ChatGPT like it's a person? You can Hi, tell ChatGPT. What well, is Gap? All right, I'm going to do this. Hi, ChatGPT. What is Gap? GAP stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. It's a set of standardized guidelines and procedures used in the field of accounting to prepare and present financial statements. These principles ensure consistency and transparency in financial reporting, making it easier for businesses and investors to understand and compare financial information. Is there anything specific you'd like to know about GAP? Can you tell me when accountant salaries will increase? I'm doing a live podcast right now, and one of our listeners on YouTube named Frank is really curious when accounting salaries will increase. Accountant salaries can vary depending on factors such as location, experience, and the specific industry. However, I can provide some general insights that might be helpful for your live podcast. One, economic conditions. Accounting salaries often correlate with the overall economic conditions. In periods of economic growth and increased business activity, there may be a greater demand for accountants, which can lead to higher salaries. To demand for specializations. Salaries can also vary based on the demand for specific accounting specializations. For example, accountants with expertise in areas like tax planning or forensic accounting may see higher salary growth if there's a strong demand for those skills. Oh, that's what you're Three, just talking about, David. Experience and qualifications. Accountants with more experience, advanced degrees, or professional certifications like the CPA, Certified Public Accountant, tend to earn higher salaries. Continuous learning and skill development right. can contribute. Right. So, Not going to make a so prediction. So in comparison, but... you got your Alexa on the shelf behind you. Yeah. Ask your Alexa what is, what's, what's Gap. I just want to see what happens. Oh, I think it's it's muted right now, but it's oh, not going to be good. We, I mean, it might give a definition. Yeah, it might so, give so, a definition about as good as Alan Weisselberg. So, so did this just replace you using Siri now? Well, I have to actually. You have to actually open up the app and do it. But um, so I, I haven't really been using it much. But it's it's kind of a fun way just to do research or ask questions. But imagine what Siri is going to be able to do. Yeah, that's. When, right. That, that that's what's going through my head. Oh my gosh! When this gets added to that, um, can I read a quote about AI and let you interpret it for me? Yeah, go for it. So there's an announcement. Um, OpenAI is now in a partnership with PwC. Oh yeah. On some. I'm things. glad you brought this and, up. And here's the quote. Or this is not. Um, there's there's a quote in here. So it's like it's like a quote within kind of the quote. So I'm just going to read it like this. PwC's new AI system is already, quote, 
behaving like a 25-year tenure partner, end quote, Vivek Sharma, Chief Operating Officer for Tax, Legal, and People at PwC UK, said in an interview Monday. Wait, behaving like a what? A 25-year tenure partner. What? what does that mean? <laughs> a 25-year tenured partner? I mean, I've heard of people saying that AI is acting like a staff accountant or an intern, but a Is AI making partner? people work 80 hours? Like, what is AI doing now? Are really the partners at PwC that useless? That it's that easy to automate them? I mean, are they just signing off on audit opinions without even looking at stuff? I mean, if so, I guess, yeah, you could, you could use I, AI to automate their jobs. Are they just so, yelling so, at people to bill more hours? That's easy for AI to do. And is he looking to pick a fight with the existing partners? Because, like, aren't people going to be like, F you? Yeah, right? That's amazing. Jeez. Okay. Well, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, did Frank says, did AI get a new yacht? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if PwC partners make enough to get yachts, honestly. Like, I don't, but, or, or they work too hard. They just, they never, they just sit in the dry dock all the time. They never get to actually go out on them. Because, you know, it's hard to get good internet on a yacht. So what are they actually doing with AI? They made a deal with, with OpenAI. Do we have any details on what they are actually going to use it for? It's going to, uh, you can use it to consult on complex matters in tax, legal, and human resources, due diligence, identify compliance issues, recommending uh, whether to authorize business deals. So it feels like it's going to be kind of the, the back-end wiki knowledge base thing. Yeah. Well, I- Similar to what they just talked about last week for... Uh, Grant Thornton. Like, again, any listeners, if you're getting access to these things in your firms, we'd love to hear how it's working. Yeah. Like, they're rolling it out to all of you right now. I want to hear somebody talk about them using it. Melanie says, I've been using AI for brainstorming. The problem is that once you get started, it's hard to get it to shut up. (laughs) I love it for brainstorming. If you have an idea and you just want to, like, bounce it off somebody, it's a great, great tool for that. What am I missing? What did I not think about, right? when I made this plan or this email? How could I improve this? It's efficient because then you're not using up my time. You don't have to contact (laughs) me. It's super, it's actually, it it increases productivity for two people. So so it's not very clear from the article exactly what PwC is using this for, but my guess is they're taking all this internal knowledge, like all these papers they've written, all this research they've done, they're dumping it into the language, large language model, and now people can query it, which is way better than doing a keyword search and having to dig through a PDF very much faster. It's like what we saw the Department of Defense doing with all of their documentation. And I, I think this is not this is not to solve for their own internal companies. I think this is to build half-assed ones that are good enough-ish and they're going to sell it in their consulting divisions to companies everywhere and it's never going to be great, but they're <laughs> going to sell the piss out of this. That's what this article is. Because if I'm a CEO of some other company now, yeah. I'd be like, wow, I could buy this from PwC and implement something like this here. They'll help me implement this. And it'll be well, like 25-year experienced employees. Like, If you think about it this way, like, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about corporate tax. So you are a CFO at a company and you've got like a corporate tax question. Normally, you email a partner at PwC. They read the email, they reply to you, and they charge you $500 for it, right? And now you can ask that question of PwC's chatbot, which is powered by OpenAI, and that bot is going to go through all the previous responses of those tax partners to you and is going to give an answer. But that's too efficient. You can't bill for that. 
In the well, same that's, way. that's the we're, thing I we're wonder. We're going to sell you our system. We're right. going to consult you on how to roll this out of your own version in your own company. Oh. That's why they're all doing it. Uh, yeah. This article talks about KPMG and then uh, Ernest & Young partnered with IBM, Deloitte's using Google Cloud. Now PwC is using OpenAI. They're all doing, mm-hmm. you know, this, they're, they're, they're all building a billion dollar consulting division each just rolling out GPT type stuff in companies. That's where the real money is. And I think they will, as Frank said in the chat, I think they will replace a lot of consultants or the consultants will just more like the consultants will be able to do more. But we know no, that- No, I think the consultants are going to consult on how to roll this crap out. I know you that's think, what, right, but they're also going to use it internally. Like think about all the yeah. all the copy paste that consultants do constantly. Yeah. You know, AI can do that. And it's not just for big businesses. We are going to see, we're seeing AI search roll out in Zero, Zero announced that they are now using Gen AI on their support and learning site to power their uh, searches for queries to provide immediate answers, more accurate content articles for people. I think that um, every app is going to do this for search. And maybe finally we'll have good global search across QuickBooks and across Zero and across all of these apps where I'm constantly amazed at how bad search is trying to find something. And so, I just want to be able to type like vendor name, amount, and description and get a list of those transactions that's like relevant. And I, you still can't do that in a lot of these systems. But AI can clarify, help. this is search for on their help site. Yes, on their help site. Not yet in their GL. But they and should do it in the GL too. But is their help site, if I'm looking at it, it looks and smells I, that it might be actually what you get from Salesforce. It's the health Salesforce so, so maybe did Salesforce roll out some sort of AI sh- search? I'm not sure. We have a comment from a live stream viewer, Saints, says, I feel as though financial fraud will now become more difficult to catch. I think once the fraudsters figure out how to use AI to generate fake invoices and fake emails, I mean, they're already doing it, the voice cloning technology, it is going to get harder. But then that's going to inspire a whole generation of accountants, like you were saying, David, to go out and catch the fraudsters make it more interesting, perhaps. And I don't know, if AI can generate fake data, it can probably analyze fake data and figure out how to find it. Um, All right, David, I think that's it for us this week. Did we catch all the headlines? We got all the headlines that we teased, so I think we're done. I'm a little out of it. (laughs) Apologies to our listeners if this sounded kind of random, bouncing around everywhere. Um, I'm, I'm still recovering. Uh, David, if people want to get in touch with you online, where can they do that? I'm on all the socials, just at David Leary. If you want to argue with me about the 150-hour rule, you can find me. I'm at Blake T. Oliver on X. I'm on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, You can subscribe to my personal newsletter at BlakeOliver.com. And you can send me and David an email by emailing theaccountingpodcast at earmark.me. That's the accounting podcast at earmark.me. And don't forget, if you made it to the end of this episode, you can earn CPE credit for it. Download the Earmark app for iOS or Android. Take a quick quiz and get your CPE certificate. The CPE course for this episode will be available the week after it airs. See you here next week, David. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Time for the classifieds. 
Stop settling for slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly. Accounts that use Forwardly can receive payments in less than 22 seconds. Yes, under 22 seconds via the newly launched FedNow network. And if your bank or a client's bank doesn't yet use FedNow, Forwardly will send the payment via same-day ACH for free. To get paid in under 22 seconds, go to forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out, but soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again, you're in the trained, correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks-savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. Most firm owners are busier than they want to be because they feel like they have to work long hours to keep their firms running. But according to CPA Ryan Lozanis, that's not necessary. Ryan built a multi-seven-figure firm that didn't require him to work nights or weekends. And just five years after starting his firm, Ryan sold it to a major international organization for a hefty profit. His secret is a special six-part system. And right now he's teaching 700 plus busy firm owners to implement this system in their own firms so they can scale revenue and spend more time with family and friends. To learn more about Ryan's special six-part system that lets firm owners grow their revenue and their free time, go to futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. That's futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.